This morning, I hope and pray, maybe the last Sunday of this series. Um, but as I said before, I can earnestly believe that the KJV is the greatest of all Bible translations. So this morning, I've got some PowerPoints for you. So hopefully, it'll be very interesting. But it's the most interesting part of the, part of this whole topic for me. Um, if you can turn with me, please. There's four scripture readings: Psalm 138 and verse two. Okay, and we read there. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And that's been central to some of the things, brothers and sisters, that I wanted to say to show the importance of God's word because far too many people are playing fast and loose with it. And also, if you could turn now to Mark 24 and 35... Sorry, Matthew 24 and 35. <laughs> Different King James. <clears throat> and we read there, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Very important. Verse in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, and his words shall not pass away. Now just for the sake of time, I'm going to read these next two scriptures. We don't need to turn to them. But Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 2 says, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. So at the very beginning when God was giving his law, anything that he was to command, anything he said, nothing was to be added and nothing was to be taken away. And brothers and sisters, I've used this other scripture for the last three weeks in a row. And it's so important for what I want to say today. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17. If you want to turn to this. For we are not as many which corrupt <clears throat> the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God and the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And it's very important that word corrupt, for I'll show you very soon what has been done to that verse, let alone what modern theologians and scholars do to the word of God. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you value your word above your name. And I thank you that that word was manifest in flesh. And that word was your very son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Him who we have come this morning to worship, to magnify and exalt. And it's him that we are looking to return very soon, Lord. And a world that is so full of madness hate and wickedness. We want to see that glorious second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, this morning we ask you to shut us in with yourself. And Lord, that you would guide everything that is said and everything that is done. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, giving you thanks. Amen. Now, do you have a PowerPoint, Denise? Can you put it up to see if it uh, works properly? And then we can start.
Okay, but it seems to be working. Okay. So, brothers and sisters, just a very short recap. We have established that the Old Testament proves that God is well keeping, well capable of keeping his word. Well capable of having written down, destroyed, and broken. Copied and rewritten. It just did not matter in the providential care of God. And I asked you at the very start of this series <clears throat> to understand that you have to believe in the total sovereignty of God. Because if you don't, you'll not be able to accept the total inspiration of God, nor then the total preservation of God's word. In week two, we looked at the journey of the manuscripts that would form the greatest Bible translation of all. As we went north to Antioch, the place where they were first called Christians, as the Bible says, and followed the received text, the Texas Receptus, as it journeyed west following the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We also ventured south to to Egypt, the city of Alexandria, a place of learning and corruption where we were introduced to a man called Origen and how he gave the world three particular Bible perversions, Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, and Alexandrius. And last week we looked at the seven English versions that make the English Bible up to and including the authorized version, which would fit nicely into the description of Psalm 12 and 6, where the Lord says his word would be purified seven times. And we talked about the Bibles over the last couple of weeks, how the Tyndales, Matthews, Coverdales, the Great Bible, which was printed by White Church, in case you want to look it up, the Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, and then the King James Bible. We looked at the men behind the greatest translation of them all, Lancelot Andrews, a great part of five hours every day he spent in prayer. And his last illness, he spent all of his time in prayer. Another by the name of John Boas, how by the age of five his father taught him to read Hebrew. By age six, he had read the entire Old Testament in Hebrew, and as well as being able to write Hebrew. As a student at St. John's College at the age of 15, he was corresponding in Greek. He went on to master all eight variations of the Greek language. He was so familiar with the Greek text that at any time he could open it up and he could point to a particular word. Such was his popularity at Cambridge that students would voluntarily turn up at 4 a.m. in the morning. We then looked at nothing short of spiritual wickedness as the devil's response in the 1850s where two men began preparing the corrupted revised Greek text based on Alexandrian manuscripts. I showed you that in the same era, a toxic new brand of supposed God religions were on the rise. First, in the mid-1830s, Joseph Smith had visions which led to the Mormon movement, although it wasn't established till 1847 through a pioneer by the name of Brigham Young. Hot in the heels in 1859, a man named Charles Darwin published his book, The Origin of Species. Shortly thereafter, in the mid-1870s, a man named Charles Russell founded the modern Jehovah's Witness movement, controlled by the Watchtower Society. As the pastor said, add to this the Jesuit-inspired distortions of the end times. Brothers and sisters, the world was being offered new religions based on God and science, with a new set of scriptures hammering at people's doubt, and it has been breathtaking in its sheer progress. What makes it all the more incredible is the fact that it is all happening in a space of 50 years And in the midst of turmoil, two men were secretly working their way into history. Many of you did not know them. I trust now that you do, and that you'll never forget them. Their names are Dr. Brooke Westcott and Dr. Fenton Hort. We looked at how both men were firm believers in the basics of Pluto's Republic and praised the writings of Darwin. 
Both men were devout Roman Catholics, although they moved in Anglican circles. They denied the virgin birth as well as a literal six-day creation. They also believed in purgatory as well as veneration of Mary being more important than the worship of Jesus. After completing the revised Greek text in 1871, they then headed up the translation committee that produced the revised English version of 1881. Their deception has led the way to Satan's most powerful tool, counterfeiting. So this morning I want to look at three of the most popular translations. The NIV, the Northern Ireland version, or the nearly infallible version, the NKJV, and the ESV. But first let me tell you where we are in 2015. Recently, it has become widely known that this book is for sale. And just in case you didn't know, you can buy it on Amazon, but you can't buy it in the United Kingdom. And this is what they said on the website, and this is associated with this, this group of the Queen James Version of the Bible. And this is a long quote, but I need you to understand where people are. <clears throat> and this is what they say. On May 5th, 2001, when Pope John Paul II begged God's forgiveness for sins committed by Roman Catholics against Jews, heretics, and women, he acknowledged that the church had been wrong in the past. It also took the Catholic Church 359 years to admit that they were wrong when they accused Galileo of heresy, condemning him to death. People have used the Bible to endorse slavery and segregation, initiate wars and crusades, condemn interracial marriage, burn women at the stake as, as witches, support the racism of the Ku Klux Klan, approve of Hitler's Holocaust, etc., etc. The list is long. And I continue with the quote. We look at these atrocities now and wonder, how could people have been so wrong about what the Bible says? Are people wrong again about what the Bible says about homosexuality? How could this happen? Translations, and this is their quote, translations have been written with the best of intentions by God-fearing, uninspired human beings who have done their very best to convey God's message as they understand it. With their current knowledge that they have of the original languages, customs, traditions, and culture of Bible times. And with their own biases based on their understanding of what they think the original scriptures say. I mean, I wrote this little bit during the week. Yesterday hadn't happened. So I said, just ask the, the ashers how they feel this morning. Reference this week's sham court case. And you look at what Ireland did yesterday. And brothers and sisters, it's coming to Northern Ireland unless the Lord returns. This is the mentality that has taken over modern Christendom. Uninspired human beings based on their own understandings and prejudices. This mentality robs God of the ability to preserve his word and leaves the door open to every conceivable false doctrine. Only by looking at the way God views his own word as outlined in our opening scripture, it is of the utmost importance that we take a stand for one translation. Satan, by flooding the world with multiple translations of his word, we actually lose confidence in the inspired word of God. Further, by looking very closely at the way the world has progressed over the last 100 years, he has systematically chipped away at God's word, which has slowly altered society for the worst. As one established church, then another, lapses from one self-imposed crisis to another, 
one can only conclude that since they apparently carry the word of God, either the word is wrong or they are. The Anglican Church, followed by the Presbyterians, are conforming to the world and all it demands. Equality is the cry and the banner with which to attack our faith. So how have we got into this position? Let's look at how they translate God's word, for this is important. Biblical criticism is an examination of the Bible for accuracy, authenticity, authorship, dating, or anything else that bears on the Bible's reliability as an historical source against one which might legitimately judge other sources. The traditions of the last century or more have divided biblical criticism into two main areas called higher and lower. Has anyone heard of these? One head nod, maybe two. Brothers, this is what they do to give you God's word. While the lower criticism, including textual criticism, deals with the providence of the text and the faithfulness of the present text to the lost originals, the higher criticism, and this is the one I want to focus on shortly, deals with the heart of the Bible itself, whether it is in fact historical, and if not, exactly how ought one to read it. This then leads to dynamic and formal equivalence, two methods used to translate from one source to another. The dynamic, also known as functional, method attempts to convey the thought expressed in the source. The thought expressed in the source. Using equivalent expressions from a contemporary language, such as English, and we call it thought for thought translating. The formal equivalence method, also known as literal, attempts to translate the source text word for word into another language. And this may be slightly controversial, but this is what I believe. The only Bible that uses and has ever used proper formal equivalence is the authorized version of the Bible, as the KJV uses only the Texas Receptus as its standard bearer. Others that use this method include the New King James, the American Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, Young's Translation, and the New Revised Standard Version. The problem is, is that they translate both the Texas Receptus as well as the Westcott Hort-inspired Greek text. So they can claim the word for word, but it's the source that they use. Bibles that utilize the thought process and conveying the overall meaning of the message or the passage include the Contemporary English Version, the Good News Bible, the New English Bible, and the New Jerusalem Bible. Versions of God's Word that use a mix of both are the New International Version and the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Brothers and sisters, you may have heard of some of them. I hadn't heard of at least four of them. There are also versions of Scripture that are not strictly speaking translations. So please, if you have them, they are not a translation. They are paraphrases of God's Word. So therein I present the Living Bible and the Message. Textual criticism is a method used to determine what the original manuscript said. The original manuscripts of the Bible are either lost, hidden, or no longer in existence. But as I said before, that does not matter. It doesn't matter in the providential care of God. He's well used to having his word lost, destroyed, burned, and written down again. It is further the study of these manuscripts or an attempt to determine what the original was actually saying. So some of these methods... One in particular, I 
Okay. One of the methods used is called critical eclectic method. Has anyone heard of that? One. Show of hands. Anybody here of the critical eclectic? Don't worry, because I hadn't until about a year ago. Okay. This is how we're getting modern translations of the Bible. So this leads me to the first of the three that I want to talk about is the NIV. If you compare John chapter 5, 1 to 9 in the King James Version, the text is Receptus, and compare it against the New International Version, which is the critical text, you will notice that verse 4, and I've highlighted it there, is missing from the NIV. In the KJV, John 5, 4 reads, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now, why is this verse missing from the NIV and other Bible translations which use the critical text? Well, the eclectic method works as follows. One, the text of John 5, 4 does not occur in the most of the oldest manuscripts. Number two, the text of John 5, 4 occurs in all of the Byzantine manuscripts, but not many of the non-Eastern manuscripts. And number three, it is more likely that a scribe would add an explanation than it is that a scribe would remove an explanation. So even though John 5, 4 makes it clear why the crippled man wanted to get into the pool, why would a scribe remove this verse? That does not make sense. It does make sense then that the tradition of why the crippled man wanted to get into the pool would be added. That's their logic. So as a result of these three basic principles, the critical eclectic text does not include John chapter 5, verse 4. So the NIV. It's too easy to attack the NIV. It's got more words missing than any other modern Bible translation. It is often said that all Bible versions are basically the same. Who's heard that? They're all basically the same. That their differences are just minor wording changes. What I'm about to show you may concern you, but it's essential to understanding how far we have come in twisting God's words. We will go through some examples of the issues within the New International Version, and then you can decide for yourself whether or not this is true. Before we do this, I want you to know that the NIV has removed 64,000 words when you do a like-for-like comparison with the KJV. 64,000 words. So, the first one we have, Luke chapter 9 and verse 56, very clearly says in the KJV, but the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. The NIV just reads, and they went to another village. A whole section completely left out. Matthew eighteen eleven: for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Quite explicit in terms of Jesus' mission to this earth. Open your NIV and it's not there. It doesn't exist. Because someone, brothers and sisters, decided that you don't need to know that. Is repentance important? Matthew 9 and 13. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the NIV it's, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You lose the word repentance. And you lose the need to turn from your sin. Christ, is, Christ or Passover is sacrificed for us in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. It's a very personal touch 
for us, for you, for me. The NIV says Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. But for who? John 6 and 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. NIV says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. Again, losing the personal touch. Why remove the personal? Matthew 5. There's another one. Okay, Matthew eleven twenty six. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your tra- tra- trespasses. NIV, completely missing. In fact, if you go to a Bible comparison website where you type in the verse, it won't let you open it for any of the Bibles. I tried that yesterday. It wouldn't even give me the KJV as being the only one that had it. So the NIV has it completely missing. But it's up to you. You have to decide, is this what you want in your Bible or not? And this, I love this verse, but it's completely torn to shreds. Matthew 5 and 44. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. The NIV says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and leaves out everything in red. Some of you might know that, some of you might not. You probably say to me, well, that's just the NIV for you. Or, well, aren't some of those, these things included in the footnotes? I would say, okay, but that's not the same as including them in the text. When a young Christian sees these passages have been removed to the footnotes, he or she will assume that they're probably not really part of God's word. After all, the translators did not include them in the text, but simply implied that some manuscripts include them. And I'll show you some examples of that later. What they are not told is that the vast majority of the texts used by the early church included these words. They are God's words. And trust me, all modern versions are heading this direction. Man just cannot help himself. So the New King James Version of the Bible, the so-called better of the translations... I myself used the New King James for a number of years. There it is on the floor. We'll read from it shortly. Before questioning the history of how we got our Bibles, especially the truth about God's preserved words. The New King James, brothers and sisters, is not a King James Bible. It's changed thousands of words, ruined valuable verses, And when not agreeing with the King James Bible, it has instead copied the twisted NIV, NASV, or RSV. And you must know, those who translated the New King James did not believe that God perfectly preserved his words. Including Mr. John MacArthur, which is written in there. His version agrees to use a method confirming only 85% accuracy. So, the NIV then. The NIV has made many running changes over the years. I'm going to give an example here. Zechariah 13 and 6. So it reads in the KJV, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, 
those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. My brothers and sisters, this is a major prophetic verse in relation to Jesus. Now you can see there that the 1982 version of the New King James only changes one word. And what it does is it changes the word thine to your. So it reads, what are these wounds in your hands? So far, that's not a problem. Not an issue at all. However, the newer version, 1997. So fast forward to today and the verse reads thus, and one shall say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Brothers and sisters, we have now lost what I believe, and I know some will disagree, a major prophecy concerning Jesus. Now, why is it so important, the hands? Because the hands were nailed to the cross. The very hands of Thomas doubted and said, unless I feel those wounds, I'm not going to believe. So now we've got the problem with the arms. Now, I've also done a Bible comparison search, and just to point out, the King, New King James states arms. The NIV claims the wounds to the body. The New Living Translation has the wounds to the chest. And the ESV, well, they've promoted the wounds to the back. So please tell me that you see a problem. There is a world of difference between wounds in your hands and wounds between your arms, your chest, your back. And yes, I understand that whenever it comes to the crucifixion and the wounds all over the body of Jesus, so therefore there, there may be some leeway. It's the changing of the words. And nobody writes you a letter or to your church to say, do you mind? To another one of the big arguments, especially with the new King James, is the removal of the these and the those and the yees. Because apparently, brothers and sisters, they're really hard to understand. Remember previously I called this issue in the past my Shakespearean nightmare. But by removing such outdated language, have we really improved the text? Well, you can decide. And the New King James says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? It's like God saying to Moses, Look, it's your fault, it's your problem, why are you continuing to do this? But when you look at the King James Version, it says, Why refuse ye? Now, why is that important? It was the people, not Moses, which God was upset with. Ye and you have more than one person, or mean more than one person. Thee, thou, thy, and thine, doeth and hast, etc., and I could spend two weeks in this. This is the best I could break it down. The Y is plural and the T is singular. It's quite easy when you think about it. But it drastically changes what God says in his word. This is the personal touch to Moses and Moses is entirely you. When really it was for the people. It was the people who had sinned. We can also go then to John 3 and 7 where Jesus... When Jesus said to Nicodemus, marvel not that I said to thee, ye must be born again. And Jesus was saying, Jesus was not, or, sorry, what Jesus said was, Nicodemus, marvel not that I said unto thee, all of you need to be born again. It's important because, again, it was to the people. It was not necessarily to Nicodemus. Not only Nicodemus needed to be saved, but everybody, including him, 
needed to be born again. That's why Jesus used the plural. So if anyone tells you that you need to remove the these, these, those, and thuses, and that's the justification for it, in, in many, many, many other instances of the Bible, you've completely and utterly ruined the meaning. And I did have two pages worth of examples, but I cut it down to two. That's the only two examples I'm going to use. You could spend days on it. The reason why they're there is they're more precise and they're more accurate. Now, the NKJV consistently uses terms that don't mean the same thing as the King James Version of the Bible. And again, I'm going to give you some examples. My favorite. 2 Corinthians 2.17, that's why I've quoted it the last couple of weeks. The King James Version says, which corrupt the word of God. The New King James Version says, peddling the word of God. Now, if you don't know, peddling means to sell, and corrupt means to change or to base. So that you, they've completely changed the meaning. So we're not so much as many selling the word of God, um, which changes from the corrupting of the word of God. Which is the reason why, brothers and sisters, systematically we're able to change verses in the Bible because we can get justification. Titus 3 and 6. The authorized version says, A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. The New King James Version says, Reject a divisive man. There's a lot of difference between someone who divides people and someone who's an absolute heretic. First Thessalonians. 5 and 22. Go away. The authorized version says, Abstain from the appearance of, abstain from all appearance of evil, whereas the King James Version, or the New King James Version says, Abstain from every form of evil. Now, what's the difference? Abstain, abstain from all appearance of evil is actually a lot more strict. If it doesn't look right, don't go near it. Whereas abstain from every form of evil makes it seem as though the evil is coming to you and you reject it. There's a higher level of holiness with the authorized version. And the abstain from every form of evil from the New King James Version is the exact same as you will get in all the other modern translations. So they've used the corrupted text. Isaiah 66 and 5. The authorized version says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. This means that the Lord shall appear, which shall occur at the second coming of Christ. Now, if you go to the other side, the New King James Version, it says the exact same thing practically up until it says, The Lord be glorified, that we may see your glory. The appearance is gone. And it's the exact same as the NIV, the NASV, the RSV, and the ASV. They all sound like political parties. The second coming is wholly omitted from this scripture. Completely gone. So both translations, again, I could have used a lot more. There are many, 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 many more. So here's the bottom line. Both translations cannot be correct. If one is right, the other has to be wrong. No matter how you cut it, the New King James Version does not have the same meaning as the King James Bible. The NKJV repeats the lie that there is only one basic New Testament used by Protestants, Roman Catholics, and Orthodox 
by conservatives and liberals. In fact, there are two, and we've talked about them for the last three weeks. The perverted Alexandrian line that was continued by the Roman Catholic religion and right through, and the, and the, and the preserved apostolic Antiochian line that progresses from the Christians to Antioch of Syria to our precious King James Bible. Marion H. Reynolds Jr. of the Fundamental Evangelistic Association reveals a little known fact, and I have this confirmed. The duplicity of the New King James Version scholars is also a matter for concern. Although each scholar was asked to subscribe to a statement confirming his belief in the plenary, divine, verbal inspiration of the original autographs, none of which exist today, the question of whether or not they also believed in the divine preservation of the divinely inspired originals was not an issue as it should have been. Dr. Arthur Farstad, chairman of this executive review committee, which had the responsibility of final tax approval, stated that this committee was about equally divided as to which was the better Greek New Testament text, the Texas Receptus or the Westcott and Hort. Apparently none of them believed that either text was the divinely preserved word of God. Yet all of them participated in a project to protect and preserve the purity and accuracy of the original KJV based on the Texas Receptus. Is not, is not this duplicity of the worst kind coming from supposed evangelical scholars? Perhaps that is why some of them had no problem working on, the, on these other translations, both before and after working on the New King James Version. This is so unlike, brothers and sisters, the 54 Bible men who faithfully translated the King James Version of the Bible from preserved manuscripts of God's Word. The difference between King James and the New King James is the difference between day and night. So let me read to you directly from my own New King James Version of the Bible. It's kind of worn. But this gives you an idea, brothers and sisters, of where we're at. And it's right in the introduction. And sometimes we don't read these things. But here's what it says in the preface to this New King James Version of the Bible. This, the translation was extraordinarily well done because to the translators... What they were translating was not merely a curious collection of ancient books written by different authors in different stages of culture, but the word of God divinely revealed through his chosen and expressly inspired scribes. History agrees with these estimates. Therefore, while speaking to unveil the excellent form of the traditional English Bible, special care has been taken to translate the New King James Version from, well, I would assume the Texas Receptus, you go over two pages and John MacArthur tells us what they've done. Since the 1880s, most contemporary translations of the New Testament have relied upon a relatively few manuscripts discovered chiefly in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Such translations depend primarily on two manuscripts, Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus, because of their greater age. It says that they've come from the Alexandrian texts, However, some scholars have grounds for doubting the faithfulness of Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, since they often disagree with one another, and Sinaiticus exhibits excessive omission. So in light of these facts, this is what they do. Although these variations are duly indicated in the centre column notes of the present edition, it is most important to emphasise that fully 85% of the New Testament text is the same in the Texas Receptus, the Alexandrian text, and the majority text. So why do they remove the verses 
and change them to be the exact same as all the other versions. Again, you'll probably say to me that these are just some minor word changes. Or sure, this, this version is at least very, very similar. Again, I would say, okay, but it's not the same as just leaving the words as they are, as they were intended to be. As well as the danger that once you start to meddle, where do you actually stop? It creates just enough doubt to leave the reader wondering if God can actually preserve his words. And brothers and sisters, if you don't consult, they don't consult you in varying changes, who gives them the authority? Because if they say the Holy Spirit... Surely the Holy Spirit is able to preserve his own word. Personally, I wouldn't want a committee getting together who didn't really agree totally on how God's word was preserved and then try and tell me exactly how a new version was going to be. So that brings me to another version. Every few years, especially in the last 40 or 50, a new Bible suddenly appears that claims to have finally done it. Finally translate the words of God so clear and finally into our everyday language, that we can finally, totally understand the Word of God. So I introduce you to the ESV. It seemingly has accomplished what the Holy Spirit could not do in 2,000 years. But let me show you what some of our esteemed, current Christian scholars think of this version. Dr. R.C. Sproul the translation is outstanding. The ESV achieves a new standard and accurate Bible translations for our day. Steve Brown, professor of preaching, Reformed Theological Seminary, Orlando, Florida, says, I am so impressed with the clarity, beauty, and power of the ESV that I feel that I am reading the Bible again for the very first time. From now on, the ESV will be my Bible of choice. I simply don't have the words to say how thankful I am for the ESV, its faithfulness to the original and its beauty. Daniel R. Hembach, Professor of Christian Ethics, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The ESV, I believe, the most accurate English translation of the Bible ever completed. I rely on it myself for classroom study, for my own devotional reading, and for leading family worship. Those who choose the ESV can be sure they are reading the very Word of God. James MacDonald, senior pastor, Harvest Bible Chapel, Rolling Meadows, Illinois. After 20 years of teaching God's Word and changing translations, I have found at last, by God's grace, a translation that is easy to read and immediately accurate. Dr. Albert Moeller. President of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The ESV represents a new level of excellence in Bible translations, combining unquestionable accuracy in translation with a beautiful style of expression that is faithful to the text, easy to understand, and a pleasure to read. This is a translation you can trust. We have two more quotes. I believe the ESV is the Bible of the future. It is readable, accurate, and reverent, as Dr. Thomas Schneider a professor of New Testament, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And this is the last one. Jerry Bridges, author of The Pursuit of Holiness, says, I've been using the ESV for my reading, study, and teaching since its original introduction in 2001. I find it to be a great balance, literalness and readability. Also, as one who has been reading the Bible and memorizing portions of it for 60 years, I appreciate the essential continuity with the older English translations, such as the King James Version. Okay. 
So that's what our esteemed scholars think. And the preface under the section textual basis in the ASV Bible, and I have read it, it says the ESV is based on the Masoretic text of the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible as found in Biblica, Herbakia, Garcensia, and in the Greek text in the 1993 editions of the Greek New Testament published by the United Bible Societies edited by Nestle and Aland. Similarly, in a few difficult cases in the New Testament, the ESV has followed a Greek text different from the text given and preferences given to the USB Nestle Aland 27th edition. And we spoke about this last week. The 4th edition of the USB Greek, Testament, Greek New Testament and the 27th edition of Nestle's Novum Testamentum Gracie are the exact same Greek texts. And they also follow the Westcott and Hort Greek texts. Brothers and sisters, we should hear alarm bells ringing immediately. As we go through this material, if anyone has an ESV Bible, please check me out. Don't believe a word I say without finding out for yourself. See the evidence for yourself. Most of these examples are found in the, in the vast majority of the, of the new versions. And the reason they all carry these corruptions is that they are built upon the Hort and Westcott Greek texts. So remember, they're not simply updating the King James English texts, but they are built upon a drastically different corrupt Greek text produced by two admitted heretics. Denise, could you bring up a number of verses for me? Matthew eighteen eleven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Quite an important verse. Matthew 23 and 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Mark 11 and 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Mark 15 and 28. And the scripture was fulfilled with Seth. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Again, confirming the Old Testament. Luke 17, 36. Two men shall be in a field and one shall be taken and the other left. Luke 22 and 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's one of my favorite Bible verses. John 5 and 4. We've already read, but it just confirms from the NIV. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And just the last one. Acts 8 and 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, Thou mayest, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What do these verses all have in common? They're not in the King, they're in the King James Version of the Bible. 
but they're not in the ESB. Completely removed. They don't exist. And again, I could have written pages and pages and pages worth of missing, missing verses. A word comparison with the New Testament of the King James Version versus the ESV reveals that the ESV removes 33,000 words. Now, bear in mind the NIV removes 64,000. This equals removing the complete books of Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, James, 1st Peter, 2nd Peter, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and Jude combined. That's a huge part of your Bible that someone decided you didn't need. And that's not just the words ripped from the New Testament that I just showed you. There's other verses too where things have been added and taken away. This belongs to Sarah, by the way. Okay. Luke 9, 55 and 56. But he turned and rebuked them, and he said, You know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village, according to the ASV. But he turned and rebuked them, and they just went to another village. Galatians 3 and 1. O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. ESV reads, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You see, by moving simple words like that you should not obey the truth, this is a systematic attack. This is why so many people are trying to translate the Bible so their theology can fit the world. So the ESV and the Lord Jesus Christ. Among the more troubling changes in the new versions is the strategic attack on the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes the attack is small and subtle, such as removing Lord or Christ, or attacks on the virgin birth or the blood atonement. Other times the attack is massive, such as stripping God from 1 Timothy 3.16. But make no mistake, brothers and sisters, the attack is real, given the fact that these so-called biblical scholars are telling you that this is an accurate translation. And most people reading just the ESV or any of these other modern versions never realize the sinister attack on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's something very special about the name of Jesus. I think we'd all agree. The Bible says in Acts 4 and 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Philippians 2 and 10 says about the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. So some facts. The ESV removes the precious name of Jesus 18 times. And believe it or not, removes Jesus Christ 51 times. And that's not all. The ESV removes the word Christ 39 times, the Lord 66 times, and God 38 times. And this brings me to one of my personal hates in the ESV. 
If we look at Philippians 2, 6 and 7, it alters the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the clearest verses in the Bible proclaiming that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and the ESV totally changes the verse to deliberately deny the deity of Jesus. You see it for yourself. The ESV changes the clear definitive statement thought it not robbery to be equal with God to the exact opposite did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So one says, and we'll say it again, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus said, I am equal with God. I am God. But the ESV changes did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We couldn't even grasp the equality of God. He was much lesser than God. It's so important that we grasp what it is you have in your hands. It's so important you grasp what it is you read. And these are just some small examples. My wife will laugh, but I could could talk for weeks on this stuff. But one of the biggest controversies, and trust me, you will hear it here first. In the next ten years, if the Lord does not come back to take us away, these verses are going to be removed. We were, in a, we were in a local Christian bookshop a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. And I believe one of the biggest controversies is the insistence of modern Bibles of pointing out that the last few verses of Mark should not actually be there. Has anyone heard the Mark controversy? Let's see a show of hands. Oh, have I spoken to that many people? <laughs> no, it's, it's staggering. I only knew about this a few years ago. All three versions that I just mentioned with all modern translations agree and will tell you that Mark chapter 16, 9 through 20 should not be there. They haven't removed it, but it's coming. Because if you're so sure it shouldn't be there, then why, why actually have it there? Mark 16, 8 in the ESV states that some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. So there goes another 12 verses of your Bible that maybe shouldn't be there. And just so you know, this is the exact passage taken from... I took these photographs. Denise, can you roll on the next... Okay, so there it is. Verses 9 through 20 is not included in two of the best and oldest Greek copies of Mark. Would it matter that 95% of the other documents said it? I then picked up the NIV... Now, what's different with the NIV is, is that they actually put a roadblock in the way. They say the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. So they've added some ancient witnesses, but don't really tell you who it is. So as a young Christian, if you're reading that, you have no choice but to read that particular section before you carry on. And then you have the New King James Version. And it says at the bottom, if you can see that, verses 9 through 20 are bracketed as not original. They are lacking in Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus, although nearly all other manuscripts of Mark contain them. Three Bibles, three different reasons and justifications for why they shouldn't be there. So can anybody find in their Bible what Mark 16 verse 8 says? Does anybody want to tell me what it says in the King James Version? Has anybody got any other versions? I know what most of them say. What, is the, what, what, does, what does verse 8 end with? 
Somebody want to tell me? They were afraid. Anybody else agree with that? Anybody else got afraid? <laughs> well, I can, I can tell you that every single version ends with they're afraid apart from two. The Message Bible says their heads were swimming and there's another Bible says they were filled with fear. Brothers and sisters, would the Holy Spirit end the gospel of good news with the word fear or afraid? For Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1 verse 7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Unfortunately, modern translators do not credit the Holy Ghost with the book. So therefore, they'd be quite happy just to remove it. Every modern translation, brothers and sisters, once these verses gone. So mark my words, if the Lord tarries, ten years from now, systematically, these Bibles and their newest editions will just remove them. Over the past four weeks, we have been on a journey. Sorry, there's one more. One more and I'm finished. John 7.25, you know, or 7.52 says, and all the modern translations state that it shouldn't be there. It's the famous story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. It says the earliest manuscripts do not include John 7.53 through verse 8 and 11. So the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, a very famous story, now gone, completely gone. Removed. It'll still be in your Bible, but just like these examples here, it will say in the footnotes, or it now says above it, it says these verses aren't in the oldest manuscripts, these verses aren't in the most reliable oldest manuscripts, these aren't in the two earliest manuscripts. The ancient witnesses don't say this. So over the past four weeks, we have been on a journey to discover which Bible closest resembles God's exact words. It has been clearly pointed out that God himself inspires and preserves his words. We have followed the trails of the manuscripts and got a closer look at the men used to both convey the word of God and those that sought to destroy it. We are in the generation that sees evil being called good and good being called evil, as witnessed in the south of Ireland yesterday. We are in a mess. Unlicensed men and women can seemingly alter and change God's words, leaving a trail of confusion in their wake. We must take back the book that once transformed a nation, then the world. We must put it back in our schools and colleges, and we must teach it to our children like never before. God did not preserve his word in multiple versions. I'll say that again. God did not preserve his word and multiple versions, particularly versions that remove thousands upon thousands of words and alter verses themselves. He had one plan for salvation. He was the one true God of Israel. He had one begotten Son, and he had one true word, a word that will never pass away. He preserved that word in one standard the authorized version of 1611, the King James Version of the Bible. Thank you.